But the thing is, is that the way that other people are treated is ultimately affecting you, even if you don't see it. We have another good one. This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of what does equity look and feel like from varying perspectives. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. My guest today is Ms. Aurora Cordeville. Aurora is a part of the Berlin Equity Action Team, where they advocate for local social justice and political issues. We discussed her story and experience and why our larger issues of diversity and inclusion are a call to action. Perspective is key, and we had that great conversation right here at Fluid Truth. All right, so we're back at Fluid Truth, and my guest today is Miss Aurora Cordeville. Aurora, I am so glad we're we're finally speaking. We've been saying that we're going to try and have this conversation for a little bit now. Life has done what it did, but now we get a chance to sit down and have this conversation. So welcome to the show. How are you? I'm actually doing pretty good today. I'll absolutely take that. No cat emergencies today. <laughs> no emergencies, no drama. Nope. nope. So I'd like to start by introducing the guest, but can you give us a little overview of who you are and how it is that we come to be talking about equity today? Well, I am, um, I am a very white female who grew up in a very white area in Wisconsin and I now live in Berlin, Connecticut. And I, the, the way I got here was really convoluted. Um, I went to school in Wisconsin. I grew up in Wisconsin. And then I studied in Japan. Uh, I worked in Japan. I taught English in Japan for 10 years. And then I married a Japanese man who lived here. And so that's how I got here. And then we got divorced. And then I remarried. And But I'm still here. And um, I think I'm here today because I met you at a Board of Ed training meeting. They were trying to come up with an equity statement, uh, the Board of Education in Berlin, and you were helping them out with coming up with that. And uh, I met you there, and I've been very invested in getting some equity and diversity in Berlin because there's not a whole lot happening here. <laughs> and <laughs> and so I, I am a member of a group called um, the Berlin Equity Action Team that recently formed in Berlin. And we're trying to get some, some stuff happening here. And we've gotten just kind of jumped in the deep end and gotten involved in a whole bunch of different things. Um, we're doing a Juneteenth event. It's a educational event on Saturday uh, at the Berlin Peck Memorial Library. And I think you're going to come. Are you going to come, Shirley? I'm going to come. I'm going to come. I'd be happy to see you. Yes. And they're, they're doing some, um, our our co-chair, co uh, Chris Barlow, he's been doing a lot of research and um, on the history of Berlin and how we're involved in um, abolitionist, the abolitionist movement and moving um, slaves. There was actually a, a, a 
house in Berlin that was a, a stop for a lot of slaves moving, moving. And the Amistad, he's been um, looking into the Amistad and how that figures in on the the history of Berlin and has just and has been in touch with the historical society. They're going to be coming in and doing a presentation. And actually, Amistad is going to be coming in and doing a presentation at our event on Saturday, too. So I'm looking forward to learning a lot more about about all of that. So that's really interesting. I'm so encouraged that these efforts are going around, not just in our nation, but in our small state of Connecticut and even our smaller towns and communities. So I'm really encouraged by that. So tell me again, the name of the group that you belong to is called the Berlin Equity Action Team. Action Team. And as that came together, why were you so invested in being a part? What What's the interest for you? Why be a part of the Equity Action Team? I've always just been very um, interested in people who don't look like me. And I always have. When I was three or four years old, I ran into a car. And I, you know how most people get hit by cars? I hit a car. <laughs> when I was about three or four, I was running to go home for lunch from my neighbor's house. And her dad was pulling into the driveway for lunch. And I literally hit his car I bounced off of it and smashed into the wall behind me and ended up in the hospital with a concussion and a cracked skull. And I had to stay there for a couple of days. And I'm from Wisconsin. I'm from the upper northern part of Wisconsin. Uh, my 8,000 people in my hometown. Okay. And we have, like, I, I, there was one Filipino family in my town, and that's it. Like, I never saw anybody who didn't look just like me until I went to college. Oh, wow. But when I was four, I was in the hospital and the first day I was there, um, a nurse came in to check me out and, you know, make sure I was okay. And she was from the Philippines. I had never seen anybody that looked like that before. And I just remember thinking that she was the most beautiful person I'd ever seen. That's awesome. And she spoke with an accent and it was so cute because instead of saying, you know, she used the word paw instead of hand. And so she would ask me if I would, if I could give her my paw to check my pulse. And I remember thinking how cute that was. And that was my first exposure to somebody who didn't look like me. And after that, I just remember thinking that I was looking through, I would look through magazines and find pictures of people who looked like her and I would cut them out and I made a little scrapbook. My mom thought that was interesting. And I'll mm -hmm. never forget, this is the first experience I ever had with just feeling kind of like not understanding um, one of my favorite artists growing up was um, Charday. Charday the singer, right? Yeah, 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 Charday. And I had an album and I was, I had it out one day and I was just saying how I was looking at her and I was commenting how beautiful she was. 
And my mom said to me, she said, yeah, she might look exotic and everything, but don't let her, don't let those looks fool you. She's black. And I just remember thinking, so what? Like why, why in this tone that she used was so like, you know, kind of mean. And I couldn't figure out where that was coming from. Okay. Yeah. It was just weird. It like struck me so weird that somebody would say something like that, you know, cause I just thought she was gorgeous. Growing up when I got to college, I, there were a bunch of people from many, many different areas in Wisconsin. Where'd you go to the university? Um, Eau Claire, which is next to the Twin Cities. Gotcha. And I met people. I, I had, uh, how I ended up in Japan was I had a bunch of friends that were exchange students that would come every year. They would come from two of the universities in Japan and they would do an exchange program. And I got very involved in the um in the Japanese community at my school, because that's who we had the exchange programs with. And also with some, um, from some students from Taiwan and, um, also Malaysia and several other areas, uh, in Asia. And so I got to know a lot of people and I decided to study, um, Japanese. And then I went over and I taught English in Japan. Um, my minor was teaching English as a second language and so I went to Japan for 10 years and I taught over there. And so, I mean, I, I know I know what it feels like to be somebody who doesn't, doesn't look like anybody else. But I was always treated so well because, you know, Caucasians, um, people from, actually anybody from um, the United States was treated really well or Canada or, you know, anywhere like that because the media over there, you know, depicts us as, you know, being this, you know, the, the cool people. And so I'll never forget. I used to teach, I was teaching in a um, preschool. And after I was done with my, my English lesson, a bunch of kids would always come up and want to, you know, say hi and, you know, talk to me. And, um, and I, one of the questions that I always would get asked is, Kimpatsu means golden hair. Ah, you were <laughs> and blonde. Yeah, and they'd ask me, why do you have why do you have blonde hair? And so I, I would say to them, I said, Well, why do you have dark hair? And <laughs> one little boy said, answered it. You know, I'd say, well, you know, your parents have dark hair, right? Well, that's why you have dark hair. I have um, this color hair because this is what color hair my parents have. And one little boy asked him that question. And he said, dakara. that means because I'm a human being. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, wow. Yeah. Because in Japan, everybody looks just like him. And he's never seen anybody that doesn't look like him before, except for maybe on TV. So he sees, you know, human beings look like him. And so since I don't look like him, so I asked him, I said, well, then what am I? And he, he kind of thought about it for me. And he was like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so interesting. I love that story, too, because when we think about going into a um, a society that is only mono, that we don't have any 
any diversity. We don't have any poly. We don't have any distinctness of other cultures and races. We might come away thinking, hey, it's just us. It's just surely anyone that just looks like me is who exists. So how was that experience for you? I know, you know, you're recalling it right now and you can smile and you can laugh about it. But how was that experience being in another country and culture where you actually were the one who didn't look like everybody else? How was that experience? Actually, most of the time it was pretty great because I I mean, they they never expected me to be able to speak the language. They never expected me to, you know, do anything because I wasn't Japanese. So the expectations for me were like below, you know, they would just, oh, she's a foreigner. She doesn't know better. I got stopped for a speeding ticket one time and the police officer walked up to me and was just doing his best to try and communicate with me in English because he just assumed that I didn't speak Japanese. And he walked up to the window and he was like, uh, um, driver's license please driver's license and I was like oh okay so I handed him my driver's license and then he asked me a couple questions and then he looked at the driver's license which was a Japanese driver's license and he looked at it and he was like hmm and then he asked me in Japanese he goes do you speak Japanese and I was like yes <laughs> and he was like ah so I just st- stood here and made a complete fool out of myself trying to speak <laughs> English for no reason and I was like yeah because you just assumed that I didn't speak Japanese you didn't ask me see that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But by the same token, and, and I really enjoy the story and how you're bringing this perspective through. But by the same token, you are, as you stated, coming on the show, you are a white woman. Yes. And from estimation, from many estimations that that comes with something. I have white privilege up the wazoo. So did you experience privilege as you were in another culture simply because you stand as who you are? Yep. Yeah. White privilege uh, it goes all everywhere. It follows me everywhere I go. And I'm learning to use that, the white privilege to help other people. In what sense? How do you, you know, use this as a benefit now? Well, if like when I get into situations where it's obvious that a person of color is like my friends are, you know, going to need a little bit of somebody getting in somebody's face and not having con- having the kind of consequences. I try and put myself in the front so that I'm, you know, they use the term white shield. Oh, wow. I've never heard that one before. Yeah. And I'm, I just kind of, if I can, you know, I'm not going to do it when it's not necessary. But I was just telling somebody when I canvas to get signatures for um, people petitioning to be on, to get on the ballot for office. I've been doing that lately for a couple of people and I can get into um, apartment buildings for signatures very easily because nobody even looks at me twice. I can just walk into an apartment building with somebody else who's, you know, living there and nobody Nobody even looks at me twice. They don't give me a hard time. They don't ask what I'm doing. I'll help people carrying groceries or something. And I can get right in there because I'm white and I fly under the radar. And and also I'm a woman, too. So, you know, nobody thinks I, nobody views me as being dangerous. 
That's something, right? That's something. Yeah. So when we pose this question, because I know I was telling you about the the purpose of this podcast and the conversations that I like to have, and it really asks the question about equity. So what does equity look like to you? So you really set the stage. I appreciate it. You set the stage perfectly. So we can dive into this question for a little bit of from your vantage point, from your eyes, from your experience, Aurora, what does equity look like to you? Equity should look like everybody on an even playing field. That's what it should look like. And it doesn't look like that at all. I don't see that at all. Not at all. I, I you know, and I, I hear a lot of people talking about equity and they say they, they like to use the word fair. I've heard that a lot lately in some of the um in the at the board of ed group that I was in and they were talking about how things need to be fair what's fair for somebody might not be fair for somebody else it's not a it, that's not a term that I think anybody should be using cuz life isn't fair i follow and i i think that might be the distinction between equity and equality and we can have that discussion as well meaning that you know equality puts it all in a fair fair level but equity puts us to the space where um, we are all receiving what is necessary. We're all receiving. And if that requires more in some instances, great. If that requires less in some instances, great, because we are all now able to receive, you know, what brings us to that same level. Right. Because some people, some people don't get what they need. And so they need, they need more help and they need more. They need more. So they should get more. And just because, you know, somebody else might look at that and go, well, that's not fair. Well, you don't need it. So why do you care? And that's an interesting conversation. And um, I do recognize that it's not just white people or white men or white women who have privilege. There's different privileges in different aspects, right? So that can be an ongoing conversation when we come to the point of, do we all have what we need to, to be at the same even playing field? Do we have that? Right. And I, I like how that you've introduced that in some of the work that you're doing. So can we take a little pivot for a second? You introduced it a little bit, but tell me about some of the work that you're doing and why, specifically why? Why are you so interested in doing it? That's a really good question. I just I don't like what I'm seeing. It makes me feel Yeah. Yeah. And so the option of kind of addressing what is going on in our culture, in our country, in our, I was talking about our small state of Connecticut and even some of the smaller cities. And now we have this opportunity to address it. So how have you gone out and what are you interested in doing? Um, I would really like to see more people of color in positions where they can, you know, influence what's happening across the board, influence what's happening in towns, influence what's happening in governments, influence what's happening in businesses, influence what's happening in the theater, influence culture, influence fashion, influence just everything across the board, because we just don't have enough of that. And it's just so white and the culture is white and role models are white. There should be people of color teachers, many, many more of them. There should be many, many more people in, up there in powerful positions 
that are people of color. It should be represent representative of our population, and it is not at all representative of our population right now. And there's so many systems at work to make that true. You're right. And I think that people are not aware of that. White people have to go out of their way to find out these things because they're not presented in a way that everybody knows about it. And white people need to start doing that. They need to start going out of their way to study, to find out, to see how these systems work to keep Mm. people of color down and not able to get what they what everyone else has. So what has your personal experience been? And I, I really do enjoy that point. I mean, you're you're saying so many things that um, I really resonate with in terms of our own responsibility to get information. So a lot of times we fall back and, you know, either wait for our schools to educate us or our children, or we wait for society to educate us or, or our families. And we're, we're not getting it. We're not getting it. It's not being shared. So how have you proactively done that? Well, actually, what's ha- it's funny you should mention that because what's happening in Berlin right now as we speak, they are opening up the charter, the town charter, and they're trying to make the Board of Education partisan, which would not be good because <laughs> politics shouldn't be in the schools because that's how you end up with what's happening in Florida with all that horrible stuff that's happening in Florida. That's how you end up with, they want to maybe go in and change the curriculum because they're all afraid of critical race theory, which isn't even something that anyone's talking about. No, they're just, they're afraid. They're afraid of so many things and it doesn't make sense. So what, what our group is trying to do right now, actually, in addition to to getting ready for our Juneteenth event, is we're trying to raise public awareness of what's happening with the charter revision in Berlin so that they can vote this down and not and have the Board of Education stay the way it is right now, which is nonpartisan. Because if it becomes partisan, that could do some very serious damage to our schools. No, I can see that. I can see that. And in terms of you needing to, I mean, obviously you had to go out and have your ear to the ground to know that this was coming up and really be cognizant of some other moves in our towns, in our cities, in our country. But historically, have you been able to kind of gather information that informs your historical perspective? That says, hey, you know, things you know, aren't always equitable across the board. There's not always representation. There are systems of oppression, right? Um, things are happening that prevent the full representation of all of those who could be showing up. So what have you done to kind of inform for yourself? I've been learning so many things. Like, like a year ago, I didn't know any of this stuff. But there's so many there's so many books out there. There's White Fragility. I'm listening to the new Jim Crow right now um, on Audible, and it is absolutely mind blowing the systems that are in place. There's the the school to prison pipeline that's happening, and there's just it, there's so many so many systems in place that make sure ensure that people end up not being able to access all of the privileges that the that white people are able to access 
and it's just it's mind-boggling all the things that are happening absolutely mind-boggling i i'm and it's hard for me because i don't have a i don't have a political brain so i i didn't literally didn't know anything about politics at all until like about a year ago and so there's so many things that i'm learning and it's hard to kind of piece everything together because it's just so huge like redlining they used to they used to fix bank loans. They would only give bank loans to people who lived in certain areas. Neighborhoods, right. Yeah, certain neighborhoods which were white. And Mm -hmm. they they knew that. Then there there was the the GI Bill where, you know, people who came back from war the from fighting the wars would qualify to get all this special aid so that they could get themselves set up and Mm -hmm. and but it wasn't it wasn't given to black soldiers. Right. It wasn't given to black soldiers. They always say how, well, black people just need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But what if you don't have the boots or the straps? Right. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't do any of that if you don't have at least what everybody else has. Like that's the least that they should have. The least that we should be offering is the same thing that everybody else has. And they don't have any of that. That's so interesting that you've taken this opportunity to fast track yourself because I I heard what you said very clearly a year ago, maybe a year plus. You weren't really well versed in some of the historical significance here. You weren't really um, aware of the political uh, functions that were at play. But now, fast forward, you've really brought yourself up to speed. And I wish I could articulate it better, but there's just, there's so much that I'm learning and I can't, I, I, it's really hard. I'm going to have to listen to the books that I'm listening to like multiple times in order to absorb this. The movie 13th is a great movie to watch. I've, you know, because I've been, and I've also been in getting involved in the Amistad lately. So there's a movie, the Amistad, that's also a very good movie to watch. There's so many things out there with so much information and it's it's absolutely mind-boggling all the things that are put in place and how, you know, just how everything started in this country. The systems that are set up are really astronomical because they're far-reaching and they're driven economically, right? So we could have all sorts of discussions, but I'm glad to know that there are not just the resources, we, we know of the resources, but that they're so easily accessible. So if we all just spent some time to gather information, to have these conversations, right? To share this information, share this knowledge. We would put ourselves in a different predicament next year this time. Because as you said last year, you didn't know what you know now. But we're educating ourselves. We're gathering information. We're having conversations. Next year, we're going to be even better. Right. And I feel like if more people put themselves out there to find out the information rather than just spewing what they think they already know from what they learned growing up, because none of this information we learned growing up, nobody learned this. The history books aren't being taught. History is not being taught properly. Nothing is being taught properly. It's it's all it's not real. It's not what the the viewpoints that we have are not based on fact at all. And that's frustrating. And I think you and I are contemporaries in terms of age, but that's frustrating to know that I grew up in the, you know, late seventies, early eighties and and nineties, of course. Um, And the information that I was getting in elementary, in high school, in college, it left out some significant aspects and some significant mindset and rationale 
unless I was taking an African studies course, which I did, but unless I was taking a course like that, how would I get any of the historical knowledge that now applies to our country here in the U.S.? Exactly. It's discouraging to know that this is how this is the educational system that that we came through. And now we're forced to go out and and forage for ourselves. But there are a lot of resources. So wait, I have a question for you, Aurora. Now, you're from originally from Wisconsin. How does that what's that interplay in terms of how you grew up and the mindset that you grew up with or the information that um, that was shared with you as you were growing up and now as a full-fledged adult needing to get our own information, how do you rectify those two? Yeah, I don't think I was given any information growing up, and I think that's the problem. Like, it was just all lack of information. Like, I grew up just thinking that everything was fine, and I, you know, everybody was fine, and everybody in our country was treated well, and everybody had what they needed, and... Um, there were no problems. There's no problems in our country. And, you know, this is a wonderful, marvelous place to live where everyone is treated, you know, the right way. And as I started getting involved in things and seeing things and learning things, I realized that that is not the case. And it never has been, never has been ever. Wow. But I just haven't known about it. And why, why has all of this information not been shared? Because people are afraid. People are afraid what will, what will happen when people actually know the truth. Wow. And when I found out how poorly, like, you know, you, you grow up and you, you know, you do your history and you learn about slaves, but they don't go into any of the things that were done to slaves, how slaves were treated, um, how women were raped. That's why we have all the babies coming out of slavery that were fathered by the plantation owners that were the product of rape. And none of that gets discussed ever. And it's not, it's, it's all whitewashed. Literally (laughs) our history is completely whitewashed so that we don't learn about any of this so that there's all that guilt happening but it doesn't matter. We shouldn't be feel guilty about it because I didn't have anything to do with it. It wasn't my fault. But going forward, it is my responsibility to find out about these things so that it, it can change. And I love that. Is that how you approach the work that you're doing right in your own town, in your own community? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that it's my responsibility to reach out and make people feel comfortable that might not feel comfortable here. So just any, anything, anything big or little that I can do to try and make people feel more comfortable wherever I am. And I think that's the, the, that's the thing. You have to step up and do something. You can't oh, just sit back and go, oh, well, somebody else will take care of this. Oh, well, you know, it's just, it's not fair. Mm, it never has been. It never will be because it doesn't affect me. So why should I get involved? I'm white. I have, I have all this privilege. I'm, you know, why should I get involved? What's, what's in it for me? But the thing is, is that the way that other people are treated is ultimately affecting you, even if you don't see it. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Well, what's good for ev- it's good for everybody. Ultimately, getting rid of racism and having everyone be treated the same way and be afforded the same opportunities is going to benefit everybody. It sure will. It sure will. And I'm encouraged that we are on the same page with that. We are of the same opinion. Um, and we're going to wrap up in just a sec. But would you just give us a highlight of what is to come? So there are some Juneteenth programs coming up. You started to allude to it. Can you just tell us really clearly? Because um, there are those in addition to me who may want to join. Well, funny you should ask. Tomorrow from 11 to 3, the Berlin Equity Action Team will be teaming up with the Berlin Peck Memorial Library to present an educational event about Juneteenth and its connection to Berlin. Our keynote speaker is Stephen Harris. Uh, He was featured in the podcast, The Road That Killed City, and also received the NAACP Trailblazer Award. And the Berlin Mayor, Mark Kaczynski, will be reading a town proclamation that was authored by two of our members to recognize uh, Juneteenth and the Hotchkiss House in Berlin. And that the Hotchkiss House served as a stop on the Underground Railroad. And then also we will have a representative from Discovering Amistad who will give a presentation on the history of the Amistad and its connections to the social justice movements of today. And, and there's, but there's still more. A member of the Berlin Historical Society will talk about the abolitionist history of Berlin, including Berlin's ties to the captives who were aboard the Amistad. There will also be refreshments available and they're gonna be really, really good. Some of them are even homemade. And there's also gonna be a hybrid community art project involving uh, physical chalk art that everybody's going to be able to partake in and also digital media. So it's going to be pretty cool. Sounds like a great event. And again, there are so many things that um, we have just touched on. You know, we could go on and talk and talk and talk, but I think we'll give a pause because um, from what you've said, there's a lot to digest. And I appreciate that you were the one to say it. I appreciate that you're able to have these conversations with me. And and we now you and I get to model behavior for other communities. Let's have the conversations. Let's go about, you know, opening up our own understanding so that we really better, not just ourselves, but we better our society. So, Ms. Aurora, thank you so much. Thank you. It was so nice talking to you. Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our producer, Raynette Shafu, and executive producer, David DeRoche. Shout out to the Fluid Truth crew for their assistance. That's Jillian Catalano and Jake McCarthy. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To hear more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at qupodcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, Find us on social media or shoot us an email. That address is qupodcast at qu.edu. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.